0: Welcome in to the first episode of the 2021 season and episode 19 overall of Shakedown the Numbers. My name is Cooper Klaus and Jack is not joining me today. Instead, we have two of our uh, buddies who have joined us in our projects, Kevin Murray and Eric Thomas. Kevin is the former president of the Notre Dame Sports Analytics Club, and Eric is a former recruiting assistant with the team. I don't know if that's the right title, Eric. Um, Yeah,
1: recruiting assistant, recruiting analyst.
0: Nice. Yeah. You guys can uh, talk a little bit about yourselves. Kevin, why don't you go first? Yeah. Thanks, Cooper. Um,
2: Like you said, I did a lot of work with the Notre Dame Sports Analytics Club um, over the past four years um, in my time there. Um, most of my work was with baseball, a little bit of work with football too um, and then before taking over as, as the president for the uh, 2020 twenty twenty one school
1: year and you know just excited to get on here and, and talk a little bit about Notre Dame football. Awesome. yeah, no I uh, for two years I helped recruit most of Notre Dame's current team. Um, it's pretty exciting. Uh, it was a lot of fun to get to know the players and their families and stuff. Uh, obviously love football and excited to have a kind of an outreach path back to it.
0: Yeah, Eric and Kevin have been helping us out with a lot of our data collection and our film, and we're gonna try and find them uh, more ways to contribute to our work, but we're really excited to have them on board. And so let's just get into it. Well, Notre Dame's coming off of their first loss of the 2021 season to Cincinnati. Jack and I weren't necessarily surprised by the result. We both predicted Cincinnati to win that game in our preview. Um, A lot of models had it as a 50-50 kind of uh, proposition. Cincinnati was favored in the game, so it's not really an unexpected outcome. But a lot of talk about Notre Dame failing in another big game. The quarterbacks, Jack Cohn's a big problem for the offense. Why didn't Drew Pine start? Blah, blah, blah. But really, I want to start with where I believe, and I think Jack believes, and I think you guys believe as well, is where the problem actually lies, and that's with Tommy Reese. So on the first drive of the game, Notre Dame comes out kind of like they always do, throwing pretty heavily. Um, and move the ball down the field really well, 50% success rate, um, on early down passing, um, and get into the red zone. Unfortunately ends in a interception, uh, but it's okay. Right. Process over results. Um, it worked getting the ball down the field. Let's trust that Cohn won't make the same mistake again. Um, quick game passing worked, etc. cetera. And just a complete, what I think is an overreaction by Tommy Reese, Notre Dame usually kind of reverts back into a, a run first offense after the first drive. Um, I looked into the data a little bit and after their first drives of the first drive of the game this season, um, during the first half, they run about 57% on early downs. They ran 10 of 13 of the next first and second down plays, like and averaged two yards per carry. Only one went for positive EPA. That's just a complete overreaction and just fear of making a mistake rather than trusting your players who... Um we're able to move the ball down the field really well and likely will score the next time they're in the red zone. Not they're not likely to throw another pick. Um what do you guys think of that? Yeah, I think it's even I think it's even more
2: frustrating too when you look at I mean just what they did the week before against a very similar type of defense, you know, a very a very run strong defense in, in Wisconsin. And uh you look at the stats of that game. I mean there was 67% pass rate on early downs against Wisconsin, um which is over their average and, and it almost looked like Reese was willing to kind of shift the the strategy a little bit and sh- shift the scheme to kind of um, go towards that pass rate knowing again they're against a, a really run-heavy run, run heavy defense. So I think that makes it even more surprising that, you know, he reverted back to this super run-heavy rate on early downs after that interception.
1: Yeah, and obviously, you know, Cincinnati's got a pretty strong defense. Uh, they're a team that has been able to score at a pretty quick clip, especially on big plays this season. So when you're going against a team like that, you need to be able to put the ball in the end zone Uh, You need to be aggressive, and the way that you're going to be able to do that, the highest clip, is to get ahead on early downs. Um, One of the frustrations, kind of throughout the season, is it it, it often feels like Tommy Reese lives for like third and eleven to third and eight range. Um, Just absolutely loves to be in that position. Um, Consistently finding yourself against, you know, in that position against Cincinnati, you're you're not going to have a great chance to win, Um, especially when you know you're having issues with turnovers from your quarterbacks, especially when they're under pressure. Um, you already have kind of an issue with the offensive line, you know, maybe not playing at the level that Jack Cohn need to be comfortable. Um, so you know, there, there's some issues there coming in with game plan. I think that Coach Kelly kind of alluded to in his press conference afterwards, like they need to prepare a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it was. It's frustrating to to think like we're at game five of the season, about at the halfway point, and they still think they can run the ball effectively. And it's not to say like never run the ball if you have a a great rushing offense like of of course go for it but this team is in the ranks in the hundreds in epa per play on the ground they don't have a mobile quarterback back there right now with jack Cohn. if he's going to be under center i think and you understand the limitations of your your offensive line you can't run a read option you can't do anything i mean i guess they did run a quarterback draw so i don't know what i'm talking about but um i just don't understand it doesn't make any sense When it's clear, like the strength of this team is in the pass game, pass blocking, and sure, if like Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree are two of the more dynamic playmakers Notre Dame has, but they've been effective receivers that you can line them out wide, um, you can get creative with them in the pass game. It's just, it's frustrating. It's, it's I part of it in what I was tweeting, and maybe a little bit of a overreaction immediately after the game is that, um, but I think it's part of it's true, is that Ian Book is no longer kind of covering for Tommy Reese's limitations with a lot of third-down heroics. Um, Just last year, Notre Dame had a higher EPA per play on third-down than Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, I think Coastal Carolina, who is one of the most prolific offenses in the country as well. A lot of these teams who you look at and you're like, these teams can really sling the ball around. Notre Dame had a higher EPA per pass on third-down, and I think losing that has kind of exposed Tommy Reese and I think they're not willing to accept that they have to throw the ball probably 70% of the time they still want to be a quote-unquote balanced team Brian Kelly said this after the his press conference uh, I forget against in which game uh, might have been Toledo or Florida State but um, yeah it's just i the lack of ev- evolution and, and adaptation is just a little frustrating at this point
1: yeah, no, I mean, obviously there needs to be an evolution of the of the passing game um, as well as kind of like make the run game a little bit more
0: viable. You don't necessarily
1: need to run more. Obviously don't want to run on early downs, but you need to be efficient with it when you do make that choice because you can't consistently keep putting yourself in bad spots. I think a big part of that is the fact that when we run any of the RPO concepts with Jack Cohn, you get no movement whatsoever. And when you run it with Tyler Buckner, the whole defense is in your face because they're not passing that ball. So I think, you know, at this point we, we kind of alluded to it like, The offensive line is playing better with in pass protection. Like, get them a chance to do that and let them run that. And if your best chance of success behind the offensive line is to run RPO pass concepts, I think uh, you know you run with Drew Pine. I think you have a chance to evolve that pass game into something productive. And then hopefully we can run a little bit more like we did in goal line and create some separation and movement for guys like Kyron Williams to be one on one in space, as opposed to having him run into three or four guys on first down every time.
2: Yeah, and I think I mean going off Eric's point there too. A lot of it's got to do with formations we're running out of um i think it's important that we run out of a little bit more 10 and 11 personnel um you know get those smaller boxes get our running backs in space i mean both tyree and and kieran williams are are good running backs in space good running backs one-on-one and when we're relying on you know a pretty poor run blocking offensive line to to all hit their blocks and, and, and to all move forward there um it's a lot a lot more difficult to rely on that for six seven eight guys blocking than it is you know, maybe when you're in the shotgun running behind five offensive linemen, you know, trying to get those guys into space. So I mean I think I think that's obviously one thing that we can kind of move forward to. Um I know with even with a one blocker advantage when we're in some of these heavy formations, our we still have pretty pretty bad negative EPA. Um and we're significantly better with these five blocker formations um than even anything at, at six, seven or eight with blocker advantages. So I think I think that's really kind of another way that we can push forward that run game without maybe you know, leaning into it as much um as far as volume goes.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And Notre Dame did do that in this game, it looks like it didn't really work out, but again, it's just part of it's Cincinnati's Cincinnati was a top ten defense and EPA per rush and also in our opponent adjusted EPA metrics. So it's it's not a great sample um to look at, but they were uh seventeen percent sex success rate on six uh designed rushes from ten personnel. That was at twenty seven percent on 11 rushes from 11 so just it really not a great day overall um, and it's tough like especially from a statistical perspective to know what the solution is we're not uh, kind of scheme guys we're not coaches but like we we understand what what is working what isn't and what you should be doing more of and not as a result and um, obviously something's not working and a lot of it probably has to do with the youth on this team Kane Madden's been disappointing as well supposed to be a Pre-season, he was a preseason all-american has just been disappointing on the line but um at this point i think you just have to trust jeff quinn to make changes on the um along the line in terms of just improving his players performance but at that until that happens you have to really lean into the past it's just um how i see it let's move on to uh, the quarterback discussion and we are definitely at least i am in the minority in thinking drew pine was not that much better than Cone on Saturday. And there are some pretty, I wouldn't say red flags at this point, just because he hasn't played that much, but um, some unanswered questions that are pretty glaring that he'll need to answer. So let's take a look at the stats. So again, we alluded to the um, kind of poor play calling that put Jack Cone in a terrible situation. Um, He faced six third and longs in the next three drives after um, his interception. Um, The next three drives We picked the next three drives because it ended in tyler buckner's interception and kind of when notre dame just after that notre dame decided to stop kind of messing around um but he had six third and longs third and five six seven eight twelve and thirteen if i remember right they notre dame only converted one of them it's like unexpected so his epa numbers he was about at zero on the day i think he had 0.01 epa so he that's how he added 0.01 expected points. So on a whole, he improved Notre Dame's uh, chances of scoring by 0.01. Drew Pine was at 2.34 on Saturday. A lot of this was boosted by a couple scrambles, including one for a touchdown. If we only look at their past attempts, and this isn't kind of, I don't think this is a terrible comparison considering they were both only sacked once. They weren't under pressure really that often. I think both were under 30%. Um, Drew Pine was at 0.0. Zero point zero eight EPA per play, and Jack Holmes at zero point two. It's, and then it gets even more concerning. And this is my the bigger concern for me is where you look at Drew Pines' accuracy during the game. He's completing fifty percent of his passes right now. When we charted his passes, there were some throws that are probably up there with a lot of the top quarterbacks who have gone on to the NFL in terms of just just if you're just evaluating a single throw. But then there are some – he missed a throw to Braden Lindsey on a two-yard crosser and threw it behind him and just stuff like that repeatedly where it's it it's concerning. And I think it negates a lot of the upside that he brings with his rushing ability um, compared to Cone. And that's why, that's why I don't think that Pine is going to significantly raise the floor and ceiling of this team and why unless we see some changes um, in the play calling from Tommy Reese, the output is probably – at least right now, my, my guess would be the output's going to be pretty similar to what we've seen so far.
2: Yep. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's important too. Like, like we said, we don't see Pine kind of adding some big advantage, but uh, I think it's also important, you know, we have to settle down on one quarterback. I mean, Pine's been really inconsistent. Pine also hasn't been getting many reps in practice when we're splitting reps between, you know, three different guys, him, Cohen, and Buckner. Um, so I think if you want to make that change, you have to make that change now. And I think, maybe this past week didn't show anything to us in, in terms of consistency, but you have to get him that consistency in practice first. Um you have to get him those reps with, with the first team guys and, and stop kind of being indecisive and, and splitting time between between him and Cohen.
1: Yeah, I mean I think to your point, Cooper, uh, you know, Pine hasn't exactly elevated the offense to the point where it's like all of a sudden we're world beaters when he goes in there versus Jack Cohn. I think that uh you know, Drew Pine is really, really more versatile than Jack Cohn. Um he offers a little bit more in the run game and that he can actually pull the ball in an RPO, and you can competently expect him to carry that ball for yards, which moves the defense in a little bit of a different way. Um, obviously, he has to prove that week in, week out, um, but that's going to continue to cause some differences in the defense. Uh, and then kind of like Kevin was saying, I mean, the more time you get with him in practice, like that off throw on, uh, to Lindsey, which I think was on fourth down, third down, Uh, The miscommunication in the second half, um, stuff like that, you're not going to see as often as he gets more comfortable. Um, But you're also not going to see that stuff as often when you have, you know, other guys in there who have grown a little bit of a confidence level with him. I think we saw a little bit more of Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles rotating in in that second half. Um, Not a ton of snaps for either of them, but especially for Colsey, he's such a big bodied guy in the red zone. Pine's been working with him on the second team. If they can get him some looks i think you can present a real viable red zone threat that's not michael mayer and a bad groin um and you can kind of move the offense a little bit differently and that's a guy that jack home would have to totally restart his chemistry with so there are some benefits in getting pine and some younger guys in there because especially in the red area we just we can't be this stagnant anymore we have to try something
0: totally and yeah i think it's the the right move going forward i don't think Kelly sees it that way, at least not publicly. He's saying who gives us the best chance to win games. And I think really the focus should be, let's figure out what we have for next year. Um, It's not like Jack Cohn was promised uh, a route to the NFL as a first round, early round pick. I think the focus should now be, we gave you a shot. It hasn't worked out as well as we've hoped. We're going to see what we have for next year moving forward. Um, The only thing I would push back on with, in terms of the RPO, Thing and I, I've, I've, it's not not on you or anything. I saw Pete Sampson tweet this too, but I, I think part of it's just like, um, I don't know if it's like a, a misunderstanding of the need for a rushing threat, or we're just, um, it's just rare to see an R P like RPOs in college without one. But like Alabama shredded like Notre Dame's defense in the um, Rose Bowl Cotton Bowl hybrid, whatever you, you want to call it, in the playoff last year. Um, and I looked it up, Mac Jones had an 8 out of like 3.8 yards, and then they absolutely they terrorized us. And obviously we don't have Devontae Smith, we don't have Jalen Waddell at receiver, but Michael Mayer can get open, Avery Davis has shown he can get open in um, in short yardage. I don't think you need like that level of talent to, you don't need to, obviously we won't be able to use it as effectively as they have, or maybe as often, but the RPO can work with Jack Cohen. I think it's kind of stubbornness on Tommy Reese's part, just to not implement it into their packages. And our friend, Greg, uh, Flamong, i hopefully, hopefully I'm not, uh, just butchering your name, but has talked about how they're like, Notre name uses very few RPO concepts in their offense. And I don't think it, I think the rushing factor for that pine would bring is an added benefit and can elevate that concept a lot, but I don't think it's a necessary component, um, to it. And then, one more thing on pine and i do agree with you um yeah i think i think once we see some more um chemistry with his receivers or he he builds some more chemistry with his receivers i should say those accuracy numbers and issues should kind of um not go away but improve but the concerning thing right now is just like he he's at basically the the complete floor in terms of just college quarterbacks. So. Overall, he has an adjusted completion percentage, which accounts for drops and throwaways. So it takes away drops from your, um, or adds back drops to your completions and takes away throwaways from your attempts. He has an adjusted completion percentage this year at 57.1%, which if he had qualified among quarterbacks would rank 143rd out of 144. And then Jack Cohen right now is at 71%, which ranks 82nd. So it's not like Cone is like deadly accurate, but like he gives you a very good like kind of baseline to compare and like a good place is just an offense as a whole to operate from. And then from a clean pocket, Cone ranks 77th with an adjusted rate of 74.8%, where Pine would rank 146 out of 148th. So I do think him getting more comfortable in practice, getting all the reps um, will improve that number. but that is a big concern if it doesn't where is he is this really who he is or is it more of a product of just having taken backup reps and splitting starters reps so far i think kind of one more thing
2: to to touch on you know like the quarterback situation in general is i mean if you move from from Cohen to pine yeah you do get a little bit of that added rushing ability but i think we also have to talk a little bit about you know buckner's role in the offense kind of going forward and oh let's punt that like that scheme to the sun please <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, so Buckner Buckner had eight snaps here versus versus Cincinnati um, this past week. Only two attempts. So he's now got thirty-five snaps on the year, six attempts passing. I mean, anyone that watched that Cincinnati game, every time Buckner was in, you had seven, eight guys in the box. They cared very little about, um, you know, what he was going to do in the passing game. Really, just press man on on the outside and and stuff in the box with as many people as they could get. And and I think if you if you do want to keep that that scheme in at all which you know we don't advise here on this podcast but if you do you you have to give him a little liberty to throw the ball here i mean even if it's just easy passes like you know the one that he had to tyree against toledo is his one touchdown on the year passing touchdown on the year completed out there i mean that's just a simple rpo or play action you know get him out on the edge a little bit that's an easy throw defenses aren't are going to key in on him you know give him easy throws like that we're not asking you to open up the playbook completely and, you know, give him all the the reads and all that as, as Pine and Cone. Because, I mean, as we can tell from how, how they're using him here, the coach just doesn't think that he's ready for all of that right now. Um, but if you're going to use that scheme at all, you you have to give him some liberty to throw because it's really
1: just not working right now. And it's, it's not helping the offense move forward at all. Yeah. And especially, I mean, we talked about how you get the running backs involved and how they're good weapons. I mean, Tyler Buckner gets queued in on in the box. He's not able to really operate and move, and the running backs don't have any space to go anyway, uh, and that's a big problem with them. Um, I think a big way for us to improve that we kind of talked about, um, you know, the Tyler Buckner package, get that out. We need to run a little bit more play action is a big part of what I think we need to adjust to. Um, I think we you tweeted out the uh, the chart that showed that the EPA per play was 0.14 on actual play action, whereas when we didn't run it, it was uh negative 018 Uh, the success rate was 50% on play action versus 34% on not. So especially as you break in, uh, you know, Tyler Buckner, a young guy, and as you get Drew Pine more involved, presumably as a starter moving forward, um, you know, you really want to be able to lean in on that play action, especially out of these two-back sets or when you motion out of a two-back set uh, to maybe go into 11 or 10 personnel. um, That's a great way to get those guys out in space, maybe move the linebackers in and create some easy throws in the, you know, the lower intermediate areas for either of those quarterbacks instead of just either handing the ball off or taking the ball off your Buckner. um, I think it's a great way to get some movement and action, uh, especially if we can pair those concepts with a little bit of motion out of a two back set or something before the play action.
0: That's a great point you made about play action. And I think we should just reiterate that you do not need to establish the run. You don't need a credible rushing threat for play action to work. And, um, as contrary to what some other media outlets will say, I'll leave that unnamed, but, um, you can use play action anytime you want. No, no team in college football is even close to kind of like the, the point of diminishing returns with it. So um, especially when like you have Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams name alone is just a threat to run. And the way defenses are coached. Well, let me just talk about like how, why it works. So defenses are coached from like pee wee football, high school football, even to the NFL. Now, like their first read is the run. So that's their first key that they're looking for. Is it a run play? So that's why it worked. It works anytime you use it. It doesn't matter if it's the first play of the game. It doesn't matter if you haven't run the ball well at all. They're always looking run. And until that changes their coach to look for the pass first, it's going to be effective until you kind of reach a point where if you're running at 80% of the time, te- defenses won't even like believe you when you're uh, faking the handoff. Like the Steelers in the preseason had a play-action play in an empty backfield, and the linebackers bit like yeah. that alone should tell you that like you like it doesn't, at the NFL level. If like a defense can't understand that like there's no one in the backfield, there this isn't a run fake with Ben Roethlisberger. I, I don't know what more you want, but um but yeah, that's a great point you made about that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, especially in the two back sets, I think it's really exciting stuff. Like. I think there was a play uh, in the third quarter where we motioned out of uh, 20 personnel and then it switched to like an 11 so, or yeah, an 11 personnel. Um, and then we just had Tyree line up like almost at the, like tight to the end. And like, it was awesome. It was so much fun to see him flex out and like, it's just cool to see like some of the motion stuff like that with both of them in the backfield, cause it causes the linebackers to totally get disrupted in their setup. And I think it's a great way to create openings for a young guy like Buckner, who probably needs a little bit more open space to feel comfortable to throw at this
0: point. Yeah. What I, I don't get with that with Buckner. Um, just going back to that, like where he should be used is why are you putting him in on the 50 yard line on first and 10? Like, I think to like, if you don't trust him as a passer right now, um, like you said, get more motion, get more play action, get him like on the run. He had a great um, scramble on a play against Cincinnati, like one of his only successful plays, um, where it was a, an RPO. He had the option to hand it off, to throw, or to run. And he took off, I think, for 10 yards. I think it's Cincinnati that game. Um, but if you're still scared of him throwing the ball downfield, use him in short yardage, third and fourth and short, and at, in the red zone at the goal line. Like how the Niners used 49ers used Trey Lance up until um this past week where he came into the game. It it doesn't make sense to bring him in at midfield where ten defenders are gonna be all of a sudden in the box. No one's believing he's gonna throw. If he's gonna throw, it's gonna be an out to the boundaries uh to a wide receiver or five yards downfield. It that that part's confusing to me. And not even confusing, just kind of like damning almost in a sense, whereas like you're just you're not sabotaging the player, but you're just kind of, again, my whole problem with this offense is just that you're setting up your players to fail and not putting them in the best position to succeed. Okay, to wrap up here, let's let's talk through real quick the, the defense so far and kind of how we see the rest of the season going. We'll give some predictions maybe on Notre Dame's record going forward. So let's start with the defense. Ever since Florida State, Marcus Freeman, Marcus Freeman's unit has been not elite. I don't say they're not quite there yet, but just very good. One of the top def- defenses in the country. Still a little susceptible to big plays, um, as we saw this past weekend. But that was a problem they had last year as well with deep passing. And I think having seen the same problem arise with two different defensive coordinators, two different schemes, it, it can be likely attributed to more of a talent problem rather than a scheme or kind of oversight in the the coverages. But it's fun to watch because they don't go really heavy in the box, especially against Cincinnati was a really um, kind of efficient running team. Same with Wisconsin. They're able to stop the run effectively while still providing extra help to the secondary and understanding that you need to stop the pass first. And it's a fun scheme to watch, too. It's just, it seems more aggressive than Clark Lee's. It seems more we're going to attack you. And it's it's hurt them a couple times. But they, again, in this game, Cincinnati was gift wrapped two possessions on the eight yard line. Um, and the 17-yard line because of uh, Tyler Buckner's interception and the Chris Tyree fumble on the kickoff. And when you take that into account, like 24 points was a, a great performance from this defense. I don't. Ritter had negative passing EPA on the day. Um, he had positive rushing EPA mainly on the scramble where JD Bertrand just had the basically drive from hell where he was just get, getting attacked constantly down the field. But it it was a great day from the defense. And I yeah I don't really have anything much to add there.
2: Yeah, and, and kind of to build off your point, I mean, I think it's it's really cool to see, I mean, that aggressive aggressive style here. And I think one thing that we should really point out is, I mean, the defensive line has been playing really well the last couple of weeks, um, especially you know knowing that we're not really stacking the box with with a lot of guys, and and we're, we're trying to, I mean, even not even though it's not always perfect, avoid some of those big plays that you know really really killed us the first couple of weeks. Um, I think it's a really, really nice thing to see, you know, how, how much pressure we're getting, how good we're doing in the run game as far as the defensive line goes. Um, and, you know, just that, that push that we're getting up the middle of that, you know, we lost quite a few guys from from that defensive line last year. And, you know, that was probably one of the question marks coming in is, is how are these guys going to handle it? And, I mean, that Cincinnati offensive line is no joke either. So um, to see them do that kind of back-to-back weeks against Wisconsin and
1: Cincinnati, I think that's a, that's a really big thing that we can kind of lean on moving forward. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of depth in that group. Um, you can see it from the top end. Obviously, Myron's a very senior player. Kurt Heinrich, is a very senior player, both captains. Um, but then you got guys like Jason and Justin Adam Alolo making differences. Uh, obviously, Isaiah Foskey really rounding into his own. Jordan Botello still kind of finding his role. We're seeing him line up at end. We're seeing him line up kind of middle linebacker and come through the middle on blitzes, which is cool. Um, it's a very, very good, solid physical group. And that allows them to, you know, that allows the linebackers behind them to play, excuse me, pretty aggressively. Um, I mean, J.D. Bertrand likes to go a million miles an hour in one direction. Sometimes it doesn't go great, but uh, a lot of times he's pretty productive in terms of his stats and everything because the guys in front of him are just doing such a good job. Um, And I thought Howard Cross played really, really well. Um, He's a pretty stout guy, especially in run. Um, You know, it's it's really fun to watch him uh corners uh you know cam hart's been really good he's been a pleasant surprise recruited to play wide receiver it's always nice when you kind of stumble into a top corner uh that you recruited for a different position um there's some issues with cam hart defending deep passes uh he has when guys especially get on his like outside or sideline side hip uh it's it's all but over they get past him as soon as they're on his hip so i don't know what they got to do to help him out but whatever secret sauce they fed to dj uh to DJ Brown to make him good from going from he couldn't tackle one week to, like, playing meaningful snaps in two straight huge games. They need to give that same stuff over because, you know, we need to see that kind of stuff coming from Clarence Lewis.
0: Yeah, just looking through the grades here, DJ Brown was actually Notre Dame's highest-graded player, according to PFF, at 82.5 against Cincinnati. Foskey, 88.5 pass rush grade, had four pressures on the day, just a a great performance from him. Um, But, yeah, I think it's just getting the – the high-end talent in the secondary, I kind of think, is what's going to be needed over the next couple of years. Um, I think Notre Dame started to invest a little bit more in the position. Losing Kyle Hamilton next year is going to hurt, but I think um, having him for the rest of this year is big. He covers up a lot of, uh, not holes in the defense, but um, some of the, the weaknesses and deficiencies that, are, that can be exposed um, by the opposition. And I think once Notre Dame finds corners that fit Freeman's scheme, um, but assuming he doesn't leave in like a, a couple of years too, cause he's done a ph- phenomenal job here. But I think once they get some more high end talent there and invest in the past defense more, I think that's when Notre Dame will see kind of, a, a an elite defense that, um, they're kind of knocking on the door of the last couple of years, but kind of breakthrough, um, going forward. Let's, let's just give a, a record. Notre Dame's last seven games. What's, what's Notre Dame's record? Not kind of the bowl game. Um, what do they finish after Stanford in November?
2: I'm really thinking 10 and two is kind of gotta be the goal here. Um, the schedule, you know, not as tough as, as we thought it would be kind of going moving forward, you know, some, some down years from some pretty big opponents. Um, still have to travel on the road a couple of games, Stanford, always a hard place to play. Um, Virginia tech this week, always a hard place to play, but you know, games that we, we should kind of pull out and, and then, you know, the, the other two big ones at home. Um, so I think, I think 10 and two, um, Coming into this year, we would have thought would be a really good outcome for the year. I think we still got to still got to believe that that's going to be the case. Um, You know, anything anything on top of that's got to be, you know, a little a little cherry on top. So I would I would be keeping an eye out, hoping for for 10 and two. And, you know, if we can we can win out, obviously, that's always a great
1: thing, too. I think it's kind of a coin flip between optimistically looking at 11 and one and looking at 10 and two really depends on which version of UNC decides to come to play that day. Um, Cause apparently sometimes they lose to unranked teams and other times they decide that they're the best team in the nation. So, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how our defense plays against Sam Howell uh, and that squad. Obviously they lost some explosive weapons, uh, you know, last year, uh, Diami Brown at the wide receiver position, both their backs. But I mean, that's still a, an offense that could really test, a, test the defense beyond that. I mean, <laughs> as much as Stanford's a tough place to play, Um, you know, we're not ranked number three and apparently that's the only team in their squad rank they can beat. So uh, as long as we don't sneak back into the top five, I think we're safe from Stanford and uh, USC is a literal dumpster fire. So if we lose that one, I think we got to reassess some things, Um, you know, just optimistic that we can pull together on the strength of the defense that all the quarterback questions can kind of hopefully not result in a loss. And it's more just how can we improve ourselves? How can we continue to build for next year and not how do we dig ourselves out of this hole?
0: Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think, um, I think it's very much possible Notre Dame wins out. I don't think there's a there's no defense like Cincinnati that's going to cause, um, as many problems as they did on Saturday. Um, the fear being, I think UNC is the biggest, uh, not question mark, but just like the team that could cause the most problems with their with Sam Howell quarterback. Like, yeah, he maybe has had a down year relative to expectations, but he's still one of the most dynamic players at the position in college football and with Notre Dame's like vulnerability over the top, all he has to do is hit on a few passes to really um, cause some problems if the offense uh, sputters again. So I I do think like even with all the offensive issues we talked about, Notre Dame's still going to finish five to six wins um, on the year. What are they at now? Four and one. Yeah. So five, five to six wins. Um, No, that's not right. Six to seven. Yeah. Six to seven wins, midseason Foreman. grind already. um But yeah, six to seven wins. I think <laughs> the the thing is, even with Notre Dame's problems, the problem is that like even when they're bad, they're still going to be really good just because of the talent alone. The problem is how do you get to the next level where you're not only trying to make the playoff, but actually trying to win there? And that's where why I can be. I'm kind of very critical of of the offense and Reese because it's good against these like these teams where it doesn't matter. Like, Purdue's fine, but they're nothing special at all. And, like, the Toledos of the world, the Florida States, and even Wisconsin for that matter. But, like, Cincinnati's a, a top-five team. When you get to play these teams, you have to be able to score offensively. You have to be able to move the ball. And, like, Notre Dame just has not been able to show that against, like, quality competition. Even Clemson won last year. I think they were pretty banged up defensively, and we saw in the ACC championship game once they had all their guys back, it kind of just reared its head again. Where what they do works against the against ninety five percent of the teams in college football. But you can't try and plan your whole system, your whole scheme, your whole program around beating ninety five percent of the teams in college football. You have to try and plan it around. Especially the talent you can recruit. You have to try and plan. We're gonna. How do we beat the Alabamas, Ohio States, and Oklahoma's of the world? Because once you do that, you can beat the other teams still. So that. I think there's a, a disconnect there with how I think and how we think and how the coaching staff thinks. And they're just worried about winning games and going one week at a time rather than looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's even more relevant this year. I mean, we got
2: to focus what on what we're good at. Um, we don't have the offensive lines, the run, run blockers that we did, you know, the last couple of years when we're, we're sending these guys to the NFL like a pipeline. Um, so I think it's, we got to focus more on, you know, What's our offensive identity for this year? What's gonna help us win games this year and moving forward? Not, you know, what helped what helped us win games the last two, three years when we had guys like, you know, Liam Eichenberg and Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson and all those all those NFL first round, second round picks, you know, sitting up there on the front of the offensive line.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see how as this season develops, how we continue to evolve the personnel sets. One of the big questions I'm interested in is how well we're gonna use Avery Davis moving forward. Um, not only is he a weapon that's proved to be efficient for us, but we're actually recruiting a kid named CJ Williams, top 100 recruit to play slot receiver for us. Um, he's pretty sold on that position uh, as his future. So when you look at scheming things that are successful, Avery Davis has been a, you know, a reliable target for Notre Dame going on two seasons now. Uh, he doesn't get the highest usage rate, but I think the more they lean on him and the more they show that they're willing to adapt to getting some of those smaller shiftier guys out in space or even just shiftier guys as the, you know, the future of the position looks. I think that's a really great development to help put us in a more successful position instead of always trying to outmuscle guys, especially, you know, when we get within 20 yards of the end zone.
0: Yeah. Slot, slot receivers are athletes too, guys. We were recording this on Tuesday last night, Hunter Renfro just laid one of the biggest hits of the NFL season. So um, you don't always need the, the miles Boykins, the chase Claypools, the, the bigger guys, although it's, it's nice to have size with all things being equal if they're the same level of athlete, but it is good to have another dynamic um, with smaller shiftier guys who are very slippery in coverage and can get open um, anytime you need them to. Um, but yeah, I think we hit on a lot of topics there. I think we'll we'll end it there. Um, thanks for listening. Check us out on Twitter at ND underscore FB underscore analytics. We post a lot of threads there um, and live tweet during games and check us out on onefootdown.com as well um, for our full previews and write-ups um, of each game. And yeah, thanks for listening. And as always, go Irish. Thank you.